welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. a series, we just call it Go, because Jesus has told us to do just that. And um, just another announcement, I notice here there's brochures up the back about the Presence Conference, and you can go online and see a lot more info. Pastor Phil's got a great lineup of speakers this year, as he always does, and that's in April uh, down in Sydney. We love to go, and uh, it's able, you know, you can stay down or even just go for the days. Um, so uh, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about going over the next few weeks. Um, some of you may remember the name Peter Foster. He's been a serial con man for many years. He was first convicted of fraud way back when he was only 20 years old. And then later he became infamous for a long list of weight loss scams. He's done jail time in Australia, the US, the UK, Vanuatu. In 2005, after promoting yet another shonky diet pill scheme, there was a ruling made in the courts that permanently banned him from any involvement in the cosmetics, weight loss and health industries. And then a product called Census Slim was launched in Australia Franchisees paid $60,000 for the rights to sell a nasal spray <laughs> that claimed to cause weight loss regardless of diet or exercise. It sounds too good to be true because it is. The Swiss laboratory that had apparently proven its effectiveness was found not to even exist and authorities soon discovered that Peter Foster was behind it all, trying to keep his identity secret. He now owes over a million dollars in fines. He has no means of paying it. His personal life has been destroyed. Last week, he was declared bankrupt in the federal court. And I read this article and it said, Justice Yates, who was handing down the penalty, described Foster as beyond redemption. Notice that statement, that judgment of his character, made by a judge, no less, Beyond redemption. In other words, someone who is so bad that nothing or no, no, nothing can be done to help them or improve them. But I read this article and as soon as I read that, I felt God speak to me and say, no, he's not beyond redemption. No one is beyond redemption. Because it's easy for us to write people off and... They might not be quite that bad, but we all get put off by people and we get put out by this and that and we can easily just focus on their faults and, and even go as far as this judge did and say, oh, they're beyond redemption and write them off. But the Bible says the arm of the Lord is not too short that it cannot save. The Bible says that our sins have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west, that that. Because of Jesus, there is redemption. In other words, we can be redeemed. We can be brought back from a state of helplessness so that our sins are forgiven and we get a fresh start in life. 
and, and that's on offer for everyone, even convicted criminals and serial offenders like that guy. And so the Bible says, Ephesians 1 verse 7, we're going to look at this verse. There's so many passages in the Bible and particularly in the New Testament that, that capture the wonderful grace of God that changes our lives and this is just one of them it says in him in Jesus we have redemption we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace notice the word we it's in him that's in Christ but notice we that's that's mankind oh sorry maybe that's politically incorrect for you like the poor young Canadian woman this week who referred to mankind when speaking at a town hall event in Canada only to be interrupted by her Prime Minister who condescendingly corrected her, oh, we like to say people kind. Thanks, Justin. Um, but whatever you call us, man, woman, people of all kinds, we... We, anyone, can receive forgiveness when we repent of our sin and turn to God. And notice who wrote these words. Paul, the apostle, had been Saul, the persecutor of Christians, who had approved of persecution, perhaps even execution in some cases. In fact, not even perhaps. We know of at least one situation. Um, and plenty of people could have written Paul off at that time as beyond redemption, but God proved them wrong. Now, of course, today here, for each of us, you may not be a murderer like Paul. I'm hoping you're not. And uh, you may not be a, a scam artist plying on people's you know, desires to lose weight and rip them off. But we've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. And we've all done something wrong. We've all hurt people. We've all offended God. But the power of God's love is so great. The blood of Jesus comes. And it, so it doesn't matter what we've done. We can be forgiven. We can be set free. We can, we can have the effects of sin, even death itself, completely taken care of. And so that's pretty good news, you'd agree. And that is the good news and over the next few, few weeks, we're going to talk about sharing the good news. But today, I just wanted to reflect on what it is that we talk about sharing. Uh, because if, like me, you've been around church for a while and you've read your Bible a fair bit uh, and you sing the songs, you can hear the words and sometimes it can just kind of wash over you a little bit. And that's why movies like that one that just, you know, visually or with a bit of music or a bit of drama and testimonies and just some way of kind of almost slapping yourself in the face. Just a reminder, a bit of a, a wake up. Hey, the, this wow, we are carrying an amazing message with us wherever we go. Because you can hear all the words and sometimes maybe just not appreciate um, the real meaning of what, it, what it's all about. And, uh, and we can have our you know, our home, our future home, solid in heaven for us. But we've got a calling and a message and an exciting responsibility, not a duty, not a bad thing, a wonderful thing that we can share this with other people. And so, as I said, I want to just to think and reflect and consider exactly what 
we share when we talk about the gospel? What is it? What's the essence of the good news that we're, we're talking about? And, and of course, it's the start of the Christian life. If you've, again, like me, you've been following Jesus, you're so appreciative of your salvation. It's just the beginning of a great adventure with God. And, um, uh, and yet just the very basic beginning of that, of that life change that is on offer for everyone is, um, well, it's summarised with, with four main points, as you may have come across um, over the years. First point being that the Bible tells us that God made the world and everything was good, people included, because we were made to walk in fellowship with God and we read about that with Adam and Eve, experiencing that wonderful opportunity to be with God in the Garden of Eden. So there's point one. Point two is that's been ruined by sin. The fellowship that we had on offer was broken by sin, firstly by Adam and Eve, who were expelled from the Garden of Eden, but, but ever since by each one of us with our own sin that has separated us from God. And so now there's no way back to God on our own. No one's good enough to be able to come close to God's perfect holy standard. So we have a big problem. But that gets to the third point, which is the wonderful solution, who is Jesus. And he came on earth, came to earth, obviously, to, he showed us uh, and taught us how to live, but he came to die uh, on the cross in place of us for our sins. And then the fourth point is, of course, the choice that we have as to what we do with Jesus. As Linda was saying in her sharing about the witness opportunity, she asked someone, who is Jesus to you? And Jesus asked that. Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And people said, oh, the disciples reported what different people were saying. And then, of course, he said, but, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter had a revelation from God. He said, you're the Christ. I got it. Yes, yes. And she said, yes, that's awesome. That's revelation. And on that revelation, I'm going to build my church. So I want people to know me personally and, and have that personal encounter and revelation with God. And so that's the four classic spiritual laws which uh, evangelists have preached for many years. You may have seen in all different forms in evangelistic tracts, uh, and we have some up on the table, and they're useful to summarise the gospel. In fact, you can demonstrate it visually. I don't know if you ever have a few random friends with you when you're out witnessing, or you can draw it or you can say it, but Caleb, uh, come out here. Um, uh, can you stand there, please? And, and Byron, uh, right? And um, Dale? You've got a beard so you can be God, right? God doesn't you know, necessarily have a beard, but traditionally, uh, uh, God. And then Martin, you're a sinner. Um, <laughs> you're copping it today. You're one look, apparently, that you gave Ruth. I didn't see the look, but you can handle it. You, right? But you guys are also sinners, yeah? Right? So, so here, come stand here, please. You're all in fellowship with God. There's God, right? You're looking at them, right? Perfect fellowship. So there's, that's point one, right? Point, point two, turn around, you've sinned. And God, in turn, turns away because of sin. And then point three, God came to earth and turned back to mankind. Now point four, it's up to them. God doesn't make them do anything. They get to hear about it. They get to decide. And so maybe some don't turn to Christ. And maybe 
I chose Byron because we all know he's smart enough that he would. <laughs> These two I'm not so sure about, but we'll, we'll just encourage you and say, praise the Lord. And now you get a Dale Bear hug, a God hug. Oh, but wait, he's finally, at the last minute, Jesus is just about to come back. It's never too late. There you go. 100% successor. In fact, what I should have done is he's over here and one of these guys then goes, goes, get it, you know, witness and tells him the gospel. And he says, really? Wow. Can it be true? Wow. There you go. And there you are, and you get a God hug too. All right. Praise the Lord. You're all born again. You can take your seats. So there's the gospel. Um, but I just wanted to focus on points two and three a little more today. The problem and the solution. The, the bad news first and then the good news. Because uh, we're all sinners. Now, we don't go on about that around here. That table is suffering and the water nearly took a tumble. But with my slips-like reflexes, I just saved that bottle. Uh, but, the, you know, the fact is there are moral absolutes in a world that doesn't like the sound of that. Uh, they are uh, unchanging. They have been set by God and people can move the goalposts around as much as they like, but God is still the umpire uh, who says, you know, the, what the playing field is and, and what the rules are and... And, uh, and there is right and wrong. There is good and bad. And we all fall short of God's glorious standards, as the Bible says in Romans 3.23. Um, that's the reality. That's the problem. Uh, and we shouldn't ever belittle that uh, or water it down or pretend that it's not there. Because Jesus didn't just come to make someone's good life better. He, he didn't come just to help people who already have a nice lifestyle just pick up a few tips, a few self-help tips, uh, you know, with some good teaching and nice life principles. The Bible isn't just a self-help book to show you how to get along with others and how to be blessed. No, a very real part of the gospel is the very sad news that we are completely lost and broken on our own. And uh, no matter how we dress it up, our lives are darkened by sin. And we are, we are actually dead, spiritually dead inside. And eventually, when physical death captures or catches up to us or, you know, engulfs us completely, there's, there's no more hope beyond the grave on our own. And so that in itself isn't good news, but it's part of the good news because without bad news, you don't appreciate good news. You know, if you've never eaten something that tastes bad, you're never going to appreciate something that tastes good. And so, you know, we, an appreciation of good is, is heightened by an understanding and experience of something that's, that's bad. You know, the light is great because you've experienced darkness. And, and, and so, as I said, we can dress it up and, uh, and yet in our hearts we are racked by our mistakes and the guilt that comes with that and and we shouldn't wash over that if we are sharing the true full christian message not to say that we only focus on that and i guess that's where the church in the past has perhaps been criticized where you know the bible basher or the turn or burn approach has been you know where people feel only condemned and only made aware of their sin 
And of course, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And uh, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, but he doesn't condemn. So there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. But there certainly is a place for us to be convicted of our sin. And then we feel the need for an answer, if you've got an awareness of the problem, yeah? And so that's the point two bit, that if we are sharing the gospel, and even for our own benefit, it's worth appreciating. And we do that when we take communion. We do become aware of not just our sin, but the forgiveness that God provides for our sin. But of course, there's no need for forgiveness if there's nothing to forgive. So we we have a moment to consider, wow, uh, you know, but I'm not right. I've not done this. But with a repentant heart, praise the the Lord, I, I come and get forgiven, yeah? So that's point three. Let's talk a little bit about point three because there's a little more about the death of Jesus that I want us to think about. As I said before, you can say things like, oh, well, you know, Christ died for us and, and the blood of Jesus washes away our sin. But what does that really mean? And why did he die and why did he, why did he really have to die? Why, why couldn't God just forgive us for our mistakes without Jesus having to suffer? And, uh, well, firstly... Uh, as you may have thought through or figured out or captured the concept of when you've read the Bible, because a just system demands punishment for wrongdoing. And we all have an innate understanding of justice because we're all made in the image of God. And so we kind of understand this sense of justice. If you've been wronged or someone you love has been wronged, it seems right that there's some kind of uh, consequence or punishment for that. And so the, you know, the, the only basis on which a holy God, as he is, who, to forgive someone uh, is for the, the penalty for that sin to be dealt with. Someone's got to pay the price for that sin. And so God's love is so great, he doesn't want us to be punished for our sin. He's willing for Jesus to come and take our place. And that's why Jesus had to be born as a human while still being divine. And why he had to die as both man and God. Because it's only then that, you know, the Bible calls Jesus the the mediator. The one that comes in between. Because as God, he was the perfect sacrifice. But as man, he represented all of mankind. So he's the unique person in the universe to take this position. Um, I was reading, as you do, Foundations of Pentecostal Theology the other day. It's a nice read for a lazy afternoon and um, the authors, uh, great um, Bible teachers, Duffield and Van Cleve, they described this really well. Uh, they said this, the heart of God's plan of salvation centres around the office and function of a mediator, one who could go between an offended God and helpless sinful creatures, man. This is the position which Christ in his substitutionary sacrifice came to fill. So there's a good bit of theology for you. They also describe why, describe why this is so necessary. They said this, When we study mankind, one is brought to realise the utter need for a plan of salvation sufficient to bridge the vast gap between two extremes, man's sinfulness and God's holiness. And so that's why Jesus had to come. And you've probably heard the classic analogy that's been used to understand this, which is a courtroom scene where you've got a convicted criminal being sentenced to death by a judge. But then someone stands up to say, I will take the punishment for that convicted criminal. 
And the crazy thing is that the person that steps forward is innocent and, not only that, is the son of the judge. And so you've now got justice requiring punishment to be made and loving sacrifice causing the son to be sentenced to death by his own father, the judge. And that's, you know, an analogy that we've used in a picture. But there's another element to this about forgiveness. You know, in any situation of forgiveness, you've got someone who's done something wrong um, to cause the hurt or the damage to the relationship. You've got the person who's been wronged, so they now have to choose to forgive the offender. But there's this other element. You've got the actual issue that caused the offence or the hurt or the reason that forgiveness is necessary. So, for example, um, little... I was going to say little Johnny, but let's say little Anthony. Um, so, you know, let's just imagine for a moment little Anthony... Um, you know, when little Anthony was little, uh, let's say he's been told not to touch his mother's um, beautiful, nice, white tablecloth that is all set out nicely uh, for a dinner party. But curiosity gets the better of him um, and he comes running in from outside where he's been playing in the dirt and he climbs up onto the table and checks out the whole scene and jumps down only to see that he's left dirty hand marks all over the white tablecloth. Mum walks in, freaks out, shrieks out, and Johnny realises, sorry, Anthony, little Anthony, realises what he's done. So he runs to her and says, sorry. Now, she may choose to discipline him uh, for disobedience, which is satisfying the need for justice, which obviously would be on the basis that he knew that that was wrong. And parents, obviously, you know, we know. Once the kids are old enough to know that something's wrong, you can't just give them another lecture. Your 12-year-old drawing on the walls is probably aware that that was something they shouldn't be doing since they were two or three. And they probably think, this is a cool gig. I just keep doing the wrong thing. And mum says, now, you know, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> Whatever, you know. But at some point, if there are consequences, they'll soon figure, I don't want, I'm not getting a lecture, I don't want what I got last time, so they'll stop doing it. But, or, or maybe, let's say, little Anthony is so young that he didn't really quite understand what he was doing, so mum would then explain, you know, don't do that again. Either way, she forgives him, right? And so the offender has repented and, been, and the offended party has forgiven and the relationship is restored. That's wonderful. But you've still got the dirty tablecloth there's still a problem and it still needs to be cleaned. And so that's the same situation with our hearts, stained by our sin. When we repent, God doesn't just say, oh, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it, on the basis of just being gracious and, and kind. And the, the sacrifice of Jesus means that our sin is actually washed away, actually taken away. And our conscience is washed clean. And that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 521, that Christ became sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God or righteous before God or in right standing before God. So there's this great exchange. And, and that's why the Bible says we've been redeemed because to be redeemed means to regain possession of something that was lost 
and in exchange for payment. So, you know, this summer, the last couple of months, Keelan, visiting his nan and pop this weekend, he's had a ball because of this um, cash for uh, cans and bottles redemption scheme. So he's been riding his bike around the neighbourhood and cleaning up, coming home with bags of filthy Jim Beam and Coke cans, you know, that people leave lying around in the park, and he collects them all, and then he goes down and he gets paid 10 cents for each one um, because they're paying, redeeming them back so they can recycle them. So it's a great setup. Lizaro's tidier and he's $100 richer. And, um, but it didn't happen just because he thought about it. It wasn't just a concept. He didn't sort of think, oh, that'd be nice or I wish I could get that money or I wish there was a program that could do that. He had to actually go out and do the work. And the system had to be set up so that they actually got the money or the little vouchers that they spit out of the machine and the kids run off into Woolies and redeemed the voucher. So they're, they're buying back, they're redeeming the cans and the money's there to pay for it. And so there's a price paid for the exchange, for the redemption to occur. So on a much grander and more important scale, Christ has paid the price. Yeah, He's, he's you know, uh, paid for you to be redeemed, to be bought and brought back into relationship with God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's, that's his death. That's his shed blood, his death. That's the highest price, the only price that could be paid. He's the only one that could afford it, could afford the price tag for our sin to be washed away. And so the cross isn't just a symbol. The death of Jesus wasn't just, you know, when we take communion, the bread and wine, we say, oh, these are symbols, and they are, but they're symbols of something very real, a world-changing event that really did take place, that really was necessary. So Jesus actually came with purpose. He, he lived, he was born with purpose. He lived with purpose and he died with purpose. He died on purpose. And the purpose is, of course, you and me and your neighbour and your family member that you're wanting to help bring to the Lord. And, um, and all we've got to do is trust in Jesus. And that's why John 3.16 captures the gospel so well, because the only decision that we've got to make is one of the heart to believe. And, th- and there it is. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Notice it doesn't say whoever is good enough, whoever goes to the right church, whoever has their act together, whoever behaves the right way. There's nothing we do except to oh, put our heart, our trust, our faith in God. That's all we got to do. Well, that's pretty cool, isn't it? That's, that's the gospel. That's wonderful. That is the good news. That, and that eternal life that we're offered, it starts now. It's not just quantity of life, it's quality of life. It's not like live this life whichever way you like and it'll probably you know, be pretty bad and then when you die, oh, you can start again. No, no, we, we have God's life in us now. And of course there are ups and downs and hiccups and challenges, but we still have his hope and security and strength and peace and power on us and in us while we're alive here. And then it keeps on going. So when I think about this, I'm pretty chuffed. I think, hey, I'm so blessed. God, this is amazing. And this is the good news that we have, not just for ourselves, but for others. 
This is what we carry. We actually carry Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We carry him with us to help out a dying world. And, and we've been given this exciting role to go with him, with this message. So let's do that. Amen. And, uh, and remember, there's no one beyond redemption. Praise him. Come on, let's pray today. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.